Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. We hope you're staying safe and staying free. We also hope that you're able to go to church sometime soon, if that is your religious persuasion. I hope it is. I am a Christian. I am proud of it. And now we are reopening churches thanks to President Donald Trump saying that church is essential. We tweeted that earlier, and we're tweeting it today. Church is essential. Three words that are absolutely critical. And if marijuana dispensaries have been opened, why is church not deemed essential? in the eyes of the government. This whole idea of picking winners and losers, this is essential, this is not essential. It's nonsense. You can go on the wet sand, you can't go on the dry sand. Or is it, can you go on the dry sand, not the wet sand? Because which one's able to transmit the virus? I'm not exactly sure. There's these, all these, these new ridiculous orders that are being put forward by California where they say they're not even sure if school's going to reopen in the next 9 to 12 months, despite a Swedish scientist coming out and saying that the virus is not able to be spread by students. Sweden's health ministry infectious disease chief Daniel Koch said scientists had concluded that young children did not transmit the virus. Now, despite this, we still have these new guidelines that are going to be put out for schools by some of these states that say that all kids must wear masks and they can't share materials. This is contrary to what we've been told, that the children are virus reactors. Dr. Koch or Dr. Koch told a news conference this week that the original advice to keep distance between children and grandparents was made when less was known about how the coronavirus was transmitted. Young children are not infected and do not transmit the virus, he said. They just don't have the receptors to catch the disease, end quote. And BBC also covered that as well. And so despite all this, we still have people that are advocating for the continual shutdowns of schools. California doctors say they've seen more deaths from suicide than coronavirus since the lockdown. So the lockdown in California has arguably killed more people than coronavirus, according to this study, and Laura Ingram cited it, and she had an entire segment on this. So why do we keep on advocating for these closures and these shutdowns? The left always says we are pro-science and the right is anti-science. This is nonsense. Right now, those of us that believe in freedom and liberty we are actually looking at the science. We're looking at the data. I call this the return to scholasticism. Scholasticism is an imperfect term to describe what the Catholic Church did in the 1500s, right near the Enlightenment. I have a lot of respect for the Catholic tradition. I am not Catholic. I'm an evangelical Christian. With that being said, the Catholic Church had, let's just say, a very troubled history in this period of time. Galileo, who famously came up with the heliocentric theory, which essentially was that maybe the Earth gravitates around the sun, the sun isn't rotating around the Earth, maybe that we're not the center of the universe. This was deemed to be fallacious and dangerous by the Catholic Church. They put Galileo on trial and imprisoned him. 
Now, the trial of Galileo was this scholastic belief, and that's not the that's not the term you might think it is. It was this idea of scholasticism that how dare you challenge the institution? Well, that's kind of what we're going through right now. But now you have these people that are not even medical doctors, like the LA health minister who's earning half a million dollars a year, giving advice on medicine and epidemiology who's not even an epidemiologist. So now we know the data and we know the curves that are going downward. We see Florida and Georgia that are successfully reopening. And despite that, why are people still arguing for these shutdowns to continue? Well, it's because, as we've said before on this program, there are crisis seekers out there. There are people that actually have their political power and their political identity off of keeping crises going on perpetually. So the L.A. health director, who's been totally absent from conversation until recently, her name is Dr. Ferrer. I might be mispronouncing this, but her career was mostly spent in Boston with the Massachusetts Department of Health, okay, and the Boston Public Health Commission. But if you dig a little deeper, she stepped down as the executive director of the Boston Public Health Authority in 2014, and she noted aggressively tackling health inequity in Boston as her favorite achievement, according to the Jamaica Plain Gazette. A press release from the Massachusetts Public Health Association, I'm reading from an article on, in Red State uh, by Jennifer Van Lahr, really nice woman. I've met her before and does great work. And I'm working through the article as I describe this. Said, Dr. Ferrer prides herself on the partnership she helped to foster across the city. And she notes that if these strong and vibrant partnerships led by extraordinary and passionate leaders that have resulted in the numerous public health successes throughout her tenure. Her publications are this, Racial Inequities and Drug Arrests, Treatment in Lieu and After Incarceration, 2018, Building Health Equity, a Community-Driven Approach to Confront Racism, Promote Racial Healing and Sustainable Equitable Opportunities. And it goes on and on from there. So her entire framework is about racial healing and eradicating racism. Well, if you dig even deeper and you look at what she's actually a doctor in, she's not a doctor in epidemiology or optometry or any sort of practicing medicine. She has a doctorate of philosophy and social welfare. Okay, if she actually understood philosophy and first principles and Aristotelian logic, she wouldn't believe in this nonsense. Only a university could teach you the type of stuff that she believes, which is anti-Western identity politics, turn people against each other, try to find a problem where there isn't one and ignore the actual real problems in our society, philosophy that she embraces. And so she's not even a doctor in the things that matter. Now, she does have a master's of public health and a master's of education, but she's not a medical doctor. It's a completely different threshold of qualification that she does not have. So not all doctors are doctors. And so now we have people that actually have ulterior radical activist-driven motives that are making decisions under the guise of public health when they don't have any sort of credentialing in public health, when it really impacts the entire health of everybody and the freedom and the liberty and the future of our entire country. 500 doctors have now signed onto a letter urging President Trump to end the lockdowns. Suicides are increasing. Alcoholism, depression, marijuana usage. This lockdown failure must end. It must end for the betterment of our country, for the goodness of Western society. And then we must hold these people like Dr. Ferrer accountable and run them out of public influence. Run them out of making decisions at the highest levels of authority. She belongs on a college campus where ideas are theorized, never put into practice. You get paid to go indoctrinate students 
and tell them how awful America is, and your extent of your influence basically ends there. The fact that she's running public policy as someone who is nothing more than an esteemed professor is a wide disgrace and a danger to the people of Los Angeles. There's a couple viruses raging in America. There's the COVID-19 virus, but there's also the virus of Marxism and anti-Americanism led by power-hungry politicians like Dr. Barbara Ferrer. I can't think of a better person who understands this than Pete Hegseth. Pete is an American hero, American veteran, uh, co-host of Fox and Friends, and has a new book out called American Crusade. Pick up your copy today. I have an amazing conversation with you that I want to share with Pete. I know you're really going to enjoy it. We talk patriotism, we talk the American experiment, and many other important and pressing topics. Please email me, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. And just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Simply Safe, Simply Safe Home Security. There's lots of criminals on the loose. They're causing havoc. They're breaking into homes, and some really, really bad people are out there. So what are you doing to protect your home? It's Simply Safe, simplysafe.com slash Charlie. A lot of uncertainty in the world. Feeling safe at home has never been more important. They're long-term friends of our show, and for good reason. Simply Safe has made it easy to finally get comprehensive protection for your home. There's a lot of people out of work. Criminals are not out of doing what they do best. And the higher the unemployment rate, the more crimes that will be committed. Protect your home, protect your loved ones, protect your pets, protect the things you care about. Simplysafe.com slash Charlie. 60-day money-back guarantee. 60-day money-back guarantee. And by the way, if you live in a blue state, well, you need protection. I'll tell you right now because they are letting rapists out of prison. Protect yourself. Simplysafe.com slash Charlie. Be safe. Be smart. Do something about it. Simplysafe.com slash Charlie. Hey, everybody. Hey, Pete. How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, Charlie. And, how you doing? Uh, welcome. Great to be here. Yeah, awesome. Welcome to this episode of the, the Charlie Kirk Show. Honored to have you. Uh, author of the new book, American Crusade. So everyone listen to this. Get American Crusade right now. I want to see American Crusade on the New York Times bestseller list. It's trending very nicely, and I think you're going to do great. First of all, Pete, tell us about the book. Tell us how you're doing and uh, the big themes behind the book. Well, Charlie, congrats on your book as well. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I chose Crusade for a reason. The subtitle is Our Fight to Stay Free. The manuscript went in before COVID-19, and here we are fighting to stay free. So uh, it's, a pre, it's sort of a, it was before COVID-19, but it, it's the same principles that are always at play of free people needing to scrap and fight uh, and kick for every ounce of liberty that we have. But I chose crusade for a reason. It's intentionally a heavy word. Uh, and it's all, in this case, I frame it as a holy war in the righteous cause for human freedom. And you know, it's the basic understandings that our rights come from a creator. They're endowed from a creator, not from a governor, as a lot of people are waking up right now and realizing. Uh, and that you know, human freedom is fragile. And it requires Donald Trump shook the system in such an overwhelming way. It even woke up people like me, and we can talk about that, but in such a way that it reoriented our politics to reveal the depth of betrayal uh, of of our enemy that is the left. 
uh, which which is runs completely athwart Americanism. Leftism is the opposite of Americanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hate who we are and what we represent, the things that made us great in the first place. Donald Trump has been our crusader in chief. He's opened the door for an opportunity to counterattack. He will again when he wins again in 2020. But then it's on the rest of us to take advantage of where we are and the things we can affect to get into the culture. I know you 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 do culture wars and your speeches are clipped all over the place and they have a great impact on young people. That's the war we need to be in, is in the culture, in the classrooms, in the education. That's where the left has gained the advantage that has now made its way into the political realm. Well, in chapter two, you have something very interesting, how I almost became a never Trumper. What do you mean by that? <laughs> what I mean by that is like a lot, I mean, God bless the people who saw who saw the movement when he came down the escalator. My wife's one of them. A lot of people saw it and launched, latched onto it right away. I was so baptized in the sort of the traditional orthodoxy of, of uh, think tank Republicanism, uh, you know, the, the idea that everything Reagan did in the 80s has to be applied now, and I, I, I revere Reagan, uh, but, and the sort of neoconservatism of foreign policy that I didn't understand Trump, and I didn't understand the moment. I was a Rubio guy before I was a Cruz guy, uh, and then I and then I sort of sat in the middle saying I could never be for Hillary, but who is this Trump guy? And I I'm I'm used that chapter to be honest about how Donald Trump and his candidacy, his America First perspective, completely reoriented the way I viewed the world. It's not about being a conservative anymore. That's wonderful. It's a title I like. But it's about being a patriot, about being in America and putting our country first. And when you truly do that and you cut through the special interests and the white papers and the think tanks and and the establishment ways in which the establishment grabs on to the movement, you strip it away. and You talk about things that really matter. And I love I rejected the three not rejected, but I was confused about three big issues that the president ran on uh, in 2016, where uh, immigration, uh, trade and foreign policy. Uh, I, you know, I had been a, a vet of Iraq and Afghanistan. I was invested in winning those wars, but I hadn't been willing to step back and realize uh, what, what the outcome had not gotten for us. Uh, immigration, you know, a lot of people get seduced by the idea of, can we find a pathway? No, 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 no. Here's what we're not debating anymore. The minor differences between left and right. This 2016 became a battle, as you know very well, Charlie, between do we love America or not? Do we have a country or not? Do we have borders or not? Do we have citizenship or not? Are we capitalists or are we socialists? Do we support the cops or not? Do we believe in a strong military or not? It was, are you for America or not? And that's the, that's the moment Trump created. And I'll use a quick military analogy here. As an infantry officer, if I'm caught in an L-shaped ambush, it's the worst kind, a near L-shaped ambush, you're caught, you're in the kill zone. My only option in the kill zone is to charge toward the enemy, which is in the high grass shooting at me. Most Republicans, you know this, before Trump, sat in that kill zone under fire from the media and everybody saying, oh, maybe I'll try to play by their rules and what do we do next? And oh, I apologize. And, and, it, and, and we're losers uh, in that context. Donald Trump said, we are under siege from the left I'm going to do exactly what an infantry officer should do in a near ambush, which is charge toward the enemy. And when you charge toward the enemy, their position is made uncomfortable and they're forced to expose themselves out of the tall grass. And then we know exactly who they are and we know their agenda stands athwart what America represents. And now we see it laid bare before us and the choice is clear. So Donald Trump changed the entire equation for a generation of Americans who are now standing up and saying, I'm going to fight the same way he does because this is what is at stake against the left is the very nature of America. Well, Pete, you mentioned something, this kind of traditional Republican orthodoxy and the think tanks. 
And I, in some ways, I came up in the similar, not directly through D.C., but it was hard to avoid that sort of intelligentsia. Yeah. And there's so much they're so unbelievably wrong on. And I realized yes. a lot of it is funded by transnational corporations that don't have our best countries at heart, countries' interests at heart. And there's like a reckoning happening in the elitist think tank community right now where they recognize that no one really supports them anymore. And I'm not going to say any names. I'm not going to do that. that. That's That wouldn't be fair or the right format to do that. But a couple, especially on immigration and on trade and citizenship, nationality. And yep. I mean, I have become enlightened even more on those issues in recent years, thanks to President Trump. Here's the problem, though, Pete, is that some of these people in the Senate, especially, they, they don't like Trump. They play the game a little bit. And, you know, they yep. say this and that. What's for this American crusade, as you put in the book, to be successful, this is going to be a fight in our own party. Because really yes. soon we're going to have the technocrats that are going to try to strike their revenge, whether it be in two years and four years or six years. Where they're like, yeah, enough of this whole listening to the people thing. You know, we need another million people a year. Let's open the borders. Who cares about language? You know, all this stuff that the Trump that Trump really talks about. What's going to prevent the elitist? And you could fill in the blanks of who these types of people are that have total yep. contempt for Trump. What's going to prevent them from getting back into power? The first thing that prevents them from getting back into power is Donald Trump's reelection in 2020, which is why it is truly the most consequential election in our lifetime. You thought 16 was? Nope. As you know, 2020 is even bigger. I mean, the possibility of the wall being finished or near finished, the possibility of a 7-2 Supreme Court, the possibility of four more years of pushing out you know, Federalist Society pro-constitution judges into our federal judiciary. Those are generational changes that even the technocrats and the establishment elites can't completely undo. And then I think, what? No, you, you have yeah. to do it. That is a huge one. But then I also think it's, it's guys like you, and, and I try to do the best I can on Fox, and there's a, there's a lot of them out there who stand up proudly, put on the red MAGA hat, and say, we support this president. We're not ashamed of it. We have his back because he's the first president who's actually said he would do something and then he did it and he's got his ear to the ground of the people. And you can't ignore when, and I also, you can't ignore when people stand up and are proud as opposed to sort of cowering to the eventual reckoning that's coming around the other side. It will be the reckoning of the people who reject the most successful president of our, of our generation that I think we have to create. And that comes over the course of four years. I, look at his support of the Republican Party though, Charlie. I mean, you, you tweet about it and talk about it. 95, 96% support. I mean, other Republican presidents didn't have that. So I, there's always this talk of the elite revolt on the Republican side. And yes, they're going to try. But who are these people? And what real power and influence do they have in light of the alternatives that we now have of truth tellers and, and people who are willing to stand up? So I, I know the same. I've heard the very same things you do of the real the contempt that some of the elites still have. But they're being boxed in by the reality well, of, of I, what this president has but, accomplished. You know, it's still going to happen, though. You're right. It, yeah, it, it's happening, though, Pete. I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, there's people in the U.S. Senate that are Republicans that are trying to get more visas issued right now. We yep. have 36 million people out of work. I mean, but who are they listening to? They're listening to the very people, the very cages that you and I have escaped, thank God. Uh, and they're still invested in the money that those think tanks, donors uh, and other institutions push toward. Them. And they're more focused on conservatism or their view of libertarianism or conservatism than they are on Americanism. And therefore they destroy, they're going to destroy sovereignty uh, and, and borders in order to pursue that. So I think we have to come after them. And listen, every party has this reckoning and it, and it is, it's, uh, it's, there's going to be some intra-party battle. There's no doubt. So you're, you're an American veteran and, and an American hero. 
What's happened to another American hero, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, is one of the most disgraceful things I've seen a human being have to go through. You have 2,000 former DOJ individuals signing on to a letter, which is immaterial to me. I don't care how many corrupt people you can get to sign on to a letter. Yes. Uh, tr- truth is not a democracy. It's not an up or down vote. And that's why we're a Republican and a democracy. It's fund- two fundamentally different things. Um, and you have the 302s, or as law entrapment, not law enforcement. Uh, conspiracy is not a theory. Conspiracy is a crime. And it was a crime against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. And the fact that this judge, Judge Sullivan, has just all of a sudden become an, un- like an Ava Perron type and radical left wing just off the rails. I, I-, I can't even understand it because he was fair and decent and passed judging you know decisions mm-hmm. and Sidney Powell has recognized that do we have a justice system still Pete and how can we have a country but with a justice system that's not blind doesn't feel like we do you know the two premises that I talk about in the book that make America special are individual liberty and equal justice equal justice blind justice the idea that there's a set of standards for everybody rich or poor left or right we've always known there's been a difference between rich and poor the access to lawyers and the ability to access the legal system and play we, we, we know that it's unfair it shouldn't be that way it exists the left and right thing is, is, is even more dangerous the idea that there's an ideological pursuit of certain forms of so-called justice laid bare before us. Uh, and in this case, Michael Flynn, he, when I was one years old, he was swearing his right hand to be a second lieutenant. This is a guy who hunted terrorist networks overseas. This is a guy who warned about the rise of ISIS. And for all of that, he was punished by the politically correct social justice, Obama, uh, Pentagon and White House that couldn't have that kind of truth teller in their midst. And so all the evidence, as you put it together, demonstrates that there was a conspiracy against him to get him and therefore the president fired and discredited. Yet the media will never talk about it, which is the stacked deck that we know about. I do believe uh, I do believe that Bill Barr and John Durham uh, have a sincere pursuit of justice. I really do. Uh, I, I, you know, a lot of us raise an eyebrow at the whole Obama Biden, you know, will they be prosecuted? Doesn't look like they will. I don't know precisely what that all means at this point, but I, I, I think a lot of people would have a renewed sense of a justice system if there is a pursuit of criminal charges against the people responsible for this conspiracy and far as far and wide as it as it needs to be found. And that 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 is to be had on the other side of a reelection. Uh, and I think in that sense, it could be viewed. It's never be viewed fairly by the left. You know that they'll always dismiss it as a partisan well, witch hunt. But it's the kind of correction that we need. And, and, and even some of these other kind of whatever Republicans, whatever they call themselves, they're <laughs> yeah, they, what are they these days, Charlie? They're, what are they? They're, they're defending Flynn getting attacked and getting prosecuted still. Yeah. And I don't know if you're comfortable sharing any of these names um, of these people, but, you know, kind of you and I coming from that world and just seeing what has happened to these you know, well, they're resistance Republicans. I mean, they're not even Republicans anymore, because if you if you and you, you know the names, we don't even need to use the names for people to know who they are. And it's not it's it's not even really helpful because they'll use it as a badge of honor. But we know we know exactly who they are. And they've they've give, they've allowed their hatred for Trump, who really just crashed their party and disrupted the, the, the stranglehold they had on the Republican Party. And their animosity has blinded them to the reality of his results. Uh, and they've been marginalized, completely marginalized. Uh, and in some sense, let them go run over to MSNBC and CNN and spout off That's and pretend to be are. Republican. Yeah. Exactly. You can't we can't do anything about they're they, they're they're helpless. They're useless, uh, uh, witting agents of the left, just as the Democrats were witting agents of Russia. 
with perpetuating the stuff they knew was not true against Donald Trump. So let them go off into the wilderness and low rated shows and squack and squack. They have no constituency. Find me someone who supports these never Trump or so-called Republicans who are really just Democrats. They don't have a constituency. That's well said. So we're coming out of this coronavirus shutdown. And this was obviously written prior to the shutdown, as you said. I'm really troubled, Pete. And I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm an inherent optimist. I think that our best days are always ahead of us if we decide it. It's a conscious decision to get towards prosperity. But I'll be mm-hmm. honest, Pete, we've never seen an assault on religious liberty and first, first principles and freedoms like we have uh, under this COVID-19 China virus shutdown. I actually have been so disappointed by the lack of backlash of Americans. Sure, we saw rallies here and there, but the willing abdication of our freedom and just how we were supposed to shut, just sit down and shut up. There was such squat, the squ- going squelching of dissenting opinion. There was such yeah. targeting of dissenting voices. Actively. And, deleting of videos, everything, yes. Yeah, and I, I would raise my hand early on in this. I'd say the science doesn't even make sense. And, I mean, my goodness, the targeting that I got because of that yeah. and asking questions like, wait, why is the modeling, why are, you, why are you putting the code public to these models? Why are you not talking about how the 2.2 million from the Imperial College model has just been completely disproven and blown up? So, so, Pete, what do you think of the big lessons from this? Because this was a mistake, not President Trump's yep. mistake. He's been phenomenal. Nope. This was an awful mistake by states and local governments to enforce a lockdown. Important to note, President Trump never enforced a lockdown, never advocated nope. for a lockdown. I want to make that perfectly clear. But this was a mistake. In fact, he was, he's been quite prudent across the board and ahead of the curve on most things. Uh, it, it was. And I, I think part of, because I've shared your sort of, frustration, especially last weekend, I had a moment where I was just like, man, alive, are we really sitting here and allowing this to happen? And I I think it's a combination of factors. First of all, I read about it in the book, how our education system has been largely hallowed out. The people who are rebelling the most are in some ways the older people who shouldn't be going out, who say, this is not my country, what happened to it? I think a part of it though, Charlie, to be as analytical as I can, is Donald Trump took prudent action early. And he said, we're gonna spend the, we're gonna slow the curve, we're going, to, we're going to address this in a, in, a, in, a, in a serious way. I'm going to ask Americans to make a sacrifice. And that was the right thing to do at the moment. And he asked for it temporarily. Then he handed the keys over to governors uh, who happily extended the lockdown because of their ideological perspective. Democrat governors, not the ones that have done it a nice job like Florida and Texas and elsewhere. And I think the residual of, of trusting Donald Trump, at least for freedom lovers, for the 3%, for the people who understand it, was, hey, if the president said this is serious, we're going to look at it. And we're going to continue to, to, to be willing to. And it took a lot of time for people to say, whoa, 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 my Democrat governor is lying to me. And this is entirely arbitrary and has no connection to what the president asked me to do temporarily. He's calling for people to open up. He just today said churches are essential. Why are you locking them down anymore? Uh, and so it's taken a while for people to awaken from their slumber. There's also been so much confusion from Washington about the bills they're passing and who gets it and who gets what. People want to be a part of the solution. The experts are telling them things that you point out have all turned out to be wrong. I think this is an instance of confusion uh, for most people who are agitating behind the scenes to say, get me out, get me out, get me out, but they don't know how to do it. So you're starting to see the movements of civil disobedience. You're starting to see states, people saying, screw it, I'm opening up. And the quicker that everyone can move together, the better. I, it is it is a scary, though, insight into how quickly for reasons of health or safety, you know this, Charlie, it's always health or safety that the leftists try to use against us to tell us, well, you can't move or you can't do something. Uh, they use the goodness of people against them. 
uh, and then lie to them in the process. And, and I'm also worried about the policy implications of this. We created $6 trillion out of thin air that will deteriorate our currency, that will add to our debt and deficit, that'll make my generation less likely to prosper and your kids as well. Yep. And, and that's, that's a significant threat to our individual liberty and freedom. And to, to stay free, as you say in the book, our fight to stay free, we can never let something like this happen again. And we just nope. – the Senate voted 97 to nothing on the biggest bill in the history of the country with so much garbage in it, it's hard to even recite it. <laughs> $350 million to illegals and refugee resettlement, $75 million to the Trump-hating networks of NPR and PBS, $25 million to the Kennedy Center. And not to mention the unemployment provisions where if you get laid off, you earn more money sitting at home than actually getting back in the labor market. And those of us that tried to warn against it were not necessarily taken as seriously would have liked. So how do we – Pete – concretely in the book, how do we grasp the idea of when this fight happens again? Because it will, what, not yeah. necessarily shut down, but when there's a consequential crucial point where we have to decide between government doing something way overstepping its bounds and not, how do we win that fight? Because we didn't necessarily in a lot of states across the country during COVID-19. Uh, I can't remember which general said it, but the idea that a, a, um, a, a 80% plan executed violently now is better than a perfect plan executed later. Uh, and I think it is it is identifying the encroach, the, 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 the crossing of the line and being prepared to mobilize and act as quickly as possibly and immediately. I think the president set the tone again by saying that if there is another spike, we are not shutting the country down again. I mean, he's saying, I've learned this lesson. We're not doing it again. I go back, Charlie, there is no quick fix to this. The honest part is you want to be able to say, well, all the media could speak with it. The media is never going to speak with a shared voice. They're always going to come after Trump. Well, we should. I think it comes back to the long work that the left did for a. I mean, you do the political knife fighting, which is very, very important, and we have to do it. And Trump getting elected is important. But the reason we're in this place culturally is because the left intentionally targeted our educational system as back as 100 years ago, but more prominently starting in the 60s until now, of a progressive agenda which erased God, which erased civics which erased history and made sure that America was, was the bad guy in, in, the, in the chart of human history. And now we've got your Ilhan Omars and your comrade Cortez's who are the heart and soul of the Democrat Party because the education system has created that. I have kids, quite literally, that I'm ripping out of government schools because you, I know precisely what they're being taught and, and that it has nothing to do with love of country and perpetuation of capitalism and an understanding of where your freedoms come from. And contrast that with the communist Chinese or Islamists who have a very coherent, aggressive, evangelical worldview that they pump into the minds of their kids. And instead we pump into the minds of our kids utter confusion and leftism. And then we wonder how we get here with people willing to hand their freedoms away to their governor. Uh, it, it's, it starts in the schoolroom, And I know that feels like a long-term project, it is a long-term project. You have to do the near term, but you have to start planning for the long term. That's why what you've done on campuses, Charlie, is so critically important. It's ripping people out of the group think of where they are and giving them an alternative to think freely. Uh, and, and more and more people are doing that. And only through, but you also know, I mean, this is the other frustrating part of what you do, what we do. It's always been two, three, four percent of people. It's never been the vast majority of people that rise up and say, I'm going to take some big act of civil disobedience or some bold move. It's a few people in principle with locked shields leading the way and then other people seeing the goodness of that action and coming behind it. I mean, Donald Trump forged his way to the White House 
we're going to have to do the same when we, we face uh, future threats like this. I, I, I agree. And that's why the work we're doing at Turning Point USA is about educating the next generation and getting them an understanding totally. why this country has actually been as great as it ha- you know, has been. So I want to ask you about some political news today that's just hard to even talk about because it was it, if, if anyone else would have said what Joe Biden said this morning to Charlemagne the God, I, I mean, this is serious stuff. I mean, this is not just a gaffe. This is there's something there's something really, really dark about this. And Senator Tim Scott said Biden's new comment on black voters is the most arrogant and condescending thing I've ever heard. And Senator Tim Scott is not one to indulge in hyperbole. He does not do hyperbole. He, he's, no. he's not like Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, who has got a sweet one liner about <laughs> something. So what do you think about this? Because this is extraordinary. I saw what Candace always said about it, and I, I think she's right. It's it's a true revelation of the feeling the left has had for certain identity groups, grievance groups, and others taking them for granted for years. And, and it, I can't remember the exact quote of what Biden said. You could probably cite it for me right now, but it was effectively, if you're thinking about voting for, for, for Trump over me, then you're, you ain't black. Uh, and think of the minds, think of putting that in any other scenario, a Republican saying that about blacks or either side saying that about white people. I, there's... But it rolls off the tongue of Joe Biden. Well, first of all, I'm not going to give away the misspeak thing, even though he doesn't know what he's saying. I think in this case, he knew precisely what he was saying, uh, if he knew what he was saying. But it was it is a reflection of the sense that they have. It's like, listen, people, you know, you have one alternative because we've already labeled those guys over there as racist forever, even though forget the fact that they freed the slaves and fought the, you know, fought, fought for civil rights and all the other things that they've now tried to flip back on us. Forget all that. Uh, we, you're, you're our, we, this is your only home and you're not allowed to think for yourselves. It is, uh, it should be the kind of thing that sinks a candidacy. It, it really is. For a Republican, it might be. It won't be because just like the other allegations we've seen, the, the willing left-wing media will cover up for him as opposed to drill down on it. So it is, uh, I think our voices need to go after him as hard as they can. And Tim Scott, Tim Scott coming out that way shows you how offensive and absurd that statement is. So in closing, last question, Pete, I asked this question on a lot of my guests. Do you think America will be more or less socialist in 10 years? Uh, If Donald Trump wins in 2020, I think less socialist in, in 10 years. If Donald Trump loses, it opens a floodgate. Uh, that we will not be able to, to step back from. And I think we'll look more socialistic uh, in 10 years. Well, there you go. That was a very good precondition on it. And I appreciate the honesty because uh, some people automatically say, oh, yeah, less. And I, I don't know if I believe that. I think there's a lot of yeah. things that need to happen because if, if we lose and we lose again, oh, America will be mo- more socialist. It's not a guarantee. Yes. And we've lived through a form of Marxist authoritarianism now for a couple months. And I'm going to make sure this never happens again. Because this was unacceptable, the way that this was implemented. American Crusade, Amen. Pete Hegseth, Fox and Friends Weekend. If you're up early, you watch Fox, Fox News, you see uh, Pete on there. does an amazing job. Buy the book. Let's get on the New York Times bestseller list. God bless you, Pete. Thanks so much, man. Charlie, thank you very much. Keep up the great work. What a great conversation that was with the great Pete Hegseth. Please pick up his book, American Crusade, and email me your questions. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Get involved right now with Turning Point USA. Go to tpusa.com, tpusa.com. Chip in $5 a month, $10 a month. We could use your support. We're growing to more campuses every single day. And once campuses reopen, Turning Point USA will be on the front lines for freedom and liberty and the American experiment, fighting for the ideas that made this country so great and fighting for our country. Strong borders, fighting for renewal of American greatness.
Please send us in your thoughts and type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. I want to say hello and thank you to our five winners, Deborah, Barbara, Joe, Donald, and Mitch. Congratulations on winning our random drawing for the MAGA Doctrine because you guys were the first five that emailed me at freedom at charliekirk.com. And we're going to do another five right now. Email me at freedom at charliekirk.com and just say I listened to the Pete Hegseth episode. You'll get a signed copy of MAGA Doctrine, the only ideas that will win the future New York Times bestseller. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. God bless. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.